Welcome to the session. This is the Blueprint Soccer Podcast, and I'm your host, Clint. If you find this podcast valuable, please share it with your teammates, friends, and family. Enjoy. And we are live. On this episode of the podcast, we are joined by former professional soccer player, 2010 MLS Cup champion, and 2011 Colorado Rapids Humanitarian of the Year, current co-host of the Shift podcast, Wells Thompson. Wells, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Awesome to be here. So I want to get us started with something I came across with your nickname. Uh-oh. And and hopefully this ties into to your background too. So for the listeners, share share your nickname and then let's touch on a, a little bit of your your playing career. Yeah, well, I've got a lot of nicknames. Uh, um I, I think I know the one that you're talking about. Probably the nickname I've had the longest is Sunshine. Uh-oh. That's what my mom called me because when when she would wake when I she would come in my room to get me out in the morning, I would always be smiling. And so if you know me or around me, if I'm mad, happy, or sad, I'm usually smiling. It's like a permagrin. Uh, so that's a nickname I'm proud of. So this um, then that nickname actually ties into the one you're about to say then. Because I feel like <laughs> it's be similar. Awful. Yeah, El Diablo. Yeah, so yeah, so man, that's uh, that's everybody brings that up. It's the Chicago. I got that nickname when I went to the Chicago Fire. Okay, and uh, so I, I love Jesus. Um, I, my faith is very important to me. It drives who I am and what I do. And so it was a, you know, it's probably a play on my faith a little bit, and also just my style of play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got the nickname. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever done this, but I got three red cards in a row in Chicago. So Congratulations. I played a first team game. I got a yellow card on a tackle that MLS reviewed and overturned to a red card. So that next weekend in the reserve game, I got a red card. And then the next weekend I was starting again in the first team game. And I got a yellow card within five minutes of the game. It was complete crap. Yeah. Like, I mean, we could talk about refereeing on another episode, but um, so at halftime, Frank Klopas, the coach, was like, I think I'm going to pull you, man. And I begged. I was like, no, you cannot pull me out. Yeah. Well, I got another yellow card in the second half, just kind of, I was trying to cross over a guy, tripped his legs. And so three red cards in a row, and I didn't play much after that, needless to say. But um, yeah, El Diablo. I mean, I've, I'm I'm not gonna shy away from a tackle. Uh, I like I like the physical aspect of the game. I grew up playing ice hockey, and I spent it was probably my worst sport because I, I played everything growing up. But I spent the majority of my time in the penalty box in ice hockey. So um, yeah, who that's kind of how I got the name. Who gave you that nickname? One of the players. I think it was the fan club. Okay. The, the Chicago Fire fan club. I forget the name of them, but yeah, I think they gave it to me. And man, it's spread like wildfire. Every podcast I'm on, every interview I do, everybody brings up yeah. El Diablo. Well, there, so, there's a huge, huge Mexican community in Chicago. And I know there was a handful of Mexican players on the team. So I didn't know if somebody threw that out to you and said, look, this guy's uh, El Diablo. He's, he's just crazy. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm not. I think it was the fan club, yeah. man, and it's um, yeah, they they stuck with it, and it's it's it stuck. So, so you know, I, I just I, I like to 
I like to spin it positively and say it's it's like King David, you know, like in from the Bible, he was just a mighty warrior. Did did, and so, did they approach that as a positive nickname, or was that like more of a, a negative nickname from from you know, your I understanding? Don't, I don't even know, no man. It wasn't like I, I don't even know how it got started. You know, I think they just said it. And then maybe they started chanting into the game, or I'm not even sure, man, how right. it, how it uh, came to be. But it, however it came to be, it stuck. Yeah, interesting. That is very interesting. So, what advice then would you give to, to players to not fill your shoes like that? Obviously, you love a tackle, and I think the game has changed a lot, even just the, in the last handful of years, with not people really want to get their their feet dirty and get uh, get stuck into tackles where it's just so much more the the pretty side of the game. I was a similar player with wanting to to you know get into tackles and enjoying that that component of the game. But three red cards, obviously five five minutes into one game, puts yourself in a tough spot, especially as a midfielder. I'm sure you're playing in, in that game, right? What, what can what can players do, uh, you know, to not uh, not get caught up in in those situations? Well, you know, you know a little bit. So, um, you know, Tim Tebow is like a Christian athlete, and he talks about and I, and I believe what he says is like as a Christian, uh, there's kind of there's a lot of misconceptions around what it looks like to be a Christian athlete. Well, mm. what I believe is that you should be the most the hardest working, the sure. fiercest, the bravest, the most courageous the toughest guy on that field. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a line that you don't want to cross. And so it, it, it's in my makeup, Clint. Like I was, I have an older brother who was a great athlete. He's a year and a half older than me. And this is how my life played out on a daily basis. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not really. So like after school, we'd come home, we'd play basketball or pool or ping pong or any sport, you name it. And he beat me. I'd chuck the ball at him or throw something at him. Then he'd beat me up. <laughs> But I went back every single day and I look back on as I look back on my career, I attribute a lot of my success to developing um, that sort of mindset that like, man, I hate to lose, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep coming after you. Sure. And so, you know, my my, my life is um, an underdog story. Like I tried out for the state team for years and never made it. My dad would tell you it was political. You know, people would come see me play and they'd be like, how is this guy not on the state team? And so I, it, that stuff fueled me. Like growing up in Winston-Salem, a little bit of a smaller club compared to Raleigh or Charlotte or some of the big dogs. And so, um, you know, I, I love to fight and I love to, it was just who I was. And, uh, I, you know, honestly, I attribute, like, I think, I think if you want to get hurt, you shy away from tackles. Mm. Like I think the reason that I stayed fairly healthy throughout my career was because um, I practiced like I played, and uh, it didn't matter what it was. I uh, I wanted to win, and th that was practice. I was a soccer tennis, and th that developed into the games. And I think that um, that's the right attitude and mindset to have. But I would be a, a liar if I told you that I that I that I didn't cross that line and go to the other side. Um, it's funny, Clint, because I, I, I used to kind of work myself up before games because I thought that I would play better mad. Hmm. I'm a generally really nice guy hmm. off the field. And, you know, if you play against me, you probably hate me. But if we meet you, if we meet out later, like we're friends and everything. And that was just my philosophy. I didn't want to be friends with you. It was kind of like the old NBA versus the new NBA. Like mm -hmm. it was a battle and I loved it. And so I would feed off that. And so sometimes intentionally to start a game, 
I would go out and just just get into someone, and and it would it would get me going, you know. So I had a hard time toting that line of like, hey, I'm gonna just I'm gonna go out there and give them my all versus, hey, I'm gonna cross the line and do something I shouldn't do. Uh, obviously, getting three red cards in a row is not smart. No one should ever do that. And it was it was so. This was in uh, Chicago. I was traded from Colorado to Chicago towards the end of the season. And it was very difficult for me. I mean, I, I found out I was traded. I was on a flight the next day. My wife was in Colorado. She was left to pack up everything and move. And it was funny, Clint, because uh, the week before I was traded, I was playing, we were playing at Colorado. And I remember vividly, I was on the team bus outside the Chicago Fire Stadium. And I told one of my teammates, I would never want to play here. Hmm. And I just didn't want to play there because it was a big city. I just didn't, whatever. And I was traded the next week. So here I am a week before mixing it up with guys and now I'm their teammate mm-hmm. and it was difficult for me. So I had, I probably had my worst career or my, my worst season as a professional in Chicago. I was actually playing defense. And so I've been a, a yeah. an attacking player, a midfielder for my entire career. And I struggled adjusting to play that position. And, you know, I, I think I looked to, I wasn't right mentally, Mm-hmm. And so that that definitely affected my play and 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 my decision making because as a defender especially you can't be you know just clobbering people all the time. Right. So. Yeah. Well, see, that's one of the the purpose of purposes of this podcast is the behind the scenes stuff that isn't really talked about. So, for instance, your three red cards in a row, the fans are just like, "Wow, this guy's just an asshole." Like he just doesn't. He doesn't care and it's like well what else is going on in terms of of his life like you just moved from from Colorado right you having a, a good time maybe at Colorado enjoying life and then you you're like to yourself I, I'm not really a fan of big cities I don't want to go to a Chicago or to to New York or LA like that's just not who I am as a person and it deeply affects players especially in this league when they have no control right in terms of where they can go as a player when they get traded. And it's just like the flick of a switch. You could be in Colorado one day and then being told that evening, hey, you're getting on a flight to Chicago, you're traded. And that can be, you know, I've never had to experience and you can see from from your experience how difficult that transition is. So to share that experience, like, yeah, you you wanna be tough and you wanna be a competitor, but there's also that distraction of transitioning uh, to a new environment that a lot of people don't take into to consideration, you know, and it's not an excuse. It's just like having a better understanding of, wow, okay, I'm going to a place that is new for me. And I need to adjust to life. Like, how can that player adjust to life when they are in, you know, transitioning to it to a new environment to maybe help them play better or, or, or perform better, which yeah. uh, maybe you can can talk about a little bit from from that experience transitioning to Chicago that that time where you're really not in the maybe best place mentally and uh, and maybe advice that you can give to to players that whatever they're maybe transitioning uh, schools uh, in, into college or, or transferring colleges or maybe there is a pro player that's transitioning from maybe a, one country to another and ha- has to adjust to life so. Yeah, I mean, I think this is actually just coming to me now, but like, um, like sports is an outlet. Mm-hmm. And so 
it was it was a way for me to go out and I could compete and I could release everything that was inside of me, right? So, you know, uh, and, and everything affected how I played, right? And so, the, the, as I've left the game and looked back on my career, I think one of my, you know, there's there's a lot of things that have to happen or take place to get to that level. Sure. You know, it's not just skill it's not just work ethic there's like a lot of things there's luck you know there's uh all that stuff right people believing in you um but um i i you know i i i lost my train of thought so i said a lot of times i've hit a lot of soccer balls and as a kid drugs and alcohol is a big problem of mine but so it's like a cheese grate up there Mm -hmm. but i was talking about something i forgot what i was talking oh i was talking about the outlet right it was it was it was an outlet for me and uh, man, I totally lost it. So here, let me let me give you give you this thought then too. While while maybe you cycle back, but um, I, I, it came back. It came back. Good. So I've realized that life, the majority of life in every facet, right, work, school, family, is lived between your ears. Mm-hmm. It's in your mind. So so much of it has to come down to mindset, right? And so I I believe. Part of what got me to the level and, and and helped me achieve all that I achieved was my mindset. Like, I was going to go out there. It's the Will Smith quote, like, if we get on a treadmill, you're getting off first. And I'm going to whoop your fanny as we do it, right? And it's not going to be fun. I'm going to make a hell. And it's not going to look pretty, but I'm going to get the job done. Um, but somewhere along the way, I lost belief in myself. And so here, here's my greatest asset, which is my mindset, my mental toughness. And I believe that it became my greatest weakness. And so when I, after the season in Chicago, which was my worst season, I came back to North Carolina. I was out of a contract, and my plan was to run away from the game. So I have a buddy in eastern North Carolina who's a chicken farmer. And so I interviewed with him. He, 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 he's got a great business. And I was like, I'm going to go be a chicken farmer and get away from soccer. Well, God kind of called me back. Thank the Lord I didn't become a chicken farmer. I don't think it would have it would have fit me really well, and it's been as as cool as it sounds. I don't know if that sounds cool to you, but no, I want to um, I want to have a farm to be honest. I want a cattle farm yeah. though, not a chicken farm. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So, I, and I I fell back in love with the game and started playing again, and and so you know, mindset is huge. And my mindset when I was in Chicago was not great. And so I feel like for me as a person, when my mind wasn't great, I looked to overcompensate with aggressiveness. Mm. And so I was in a new environment. I was trying to earn a spot on the team. And that's what you're doing. Although you're teammates, you are battling in, an, in the most competitive environment there is every single day for minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wasn't smart enough or I didn't uh, understand in that moment or I was caught up in everything um, where I didn't realize that getting getting these red cards is is inevitably inevitably gonna I'm not gonna play anyway, right? right? Yeah. So you know, mindset's so big for that the the young athlete um, all the way to the pro athlete. I think really it, it's what separates the good from the great. Those that can continue to fail, continue to believe in themselves, and continue to grow. Because at the end of the day, it's 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 so much of it is is mental. Mm-hmm. What what advice, if any, do you have that you could share with, uh, particularly like younger players, high school age players, maybe collegiate athlete, where 
you know, it's just like, I think that I'm speaking on their behalf that, you know, I think that that talent's going to take me to where I want to want to be, right? Is there certain advice to maybe shift their approach and say, look, it's way more than that. It's about mentality. I, I want to touch on your career a little bit too here in, in a sense that you're super competitive, but so are hundreds of players throughout the league where there are maybe two or three super special players like I talk about and people talk about Messi all the time. Like, yes, there are very special players on, on Barcelona, but they are also extremely competitive, hardworking, and there's that one player, Messi, right? There's that one player, maybe you can give a shout of, of one of your teammates where everybody's pretty much in the same boat, uh, I guess a quote-unquote run-of-the-mill player without being disrespectful, right? Where it's like, then you have the, um, I think of, of somebody like uh, Diego Valeri at Portland, who's the special player. And then you have, you know, Diego Char, a handful of other players that are doing the dirty work and the competitors and, and are the you know, tough guys of the team. So that one special player can can really shine. There really only are those handful of players in the world in in leagues that are the the technical players all the other players are super hardworking, gritty tenacious tough all the the variables that that you touch on which i think a lot of younger players don't really respect and have gone away from and think it's about the technique and their talent but at the end of the day you, you we can also tie into it which i think we'll talk about it later in the podcast is is the running side and, and your involvement in in uh, in running, which I have really gotten into uh, since I stopped playing. I, I've really enjoyed it, and I, I'm surprised that more players don't enjoy running because soccer, at the end of the day, is a running game, right? You get yeah. five, six, seven touches, maybe in a half, and then uh, and then the rest is running. So yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, just to go, touch on my story a little bit more is that, um, you know, I, 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 I fell down and struggled tremendously during my teenage years. Um, I got heavily involved in drugs and alcohol. Um, I was shipped away to like, I was kidnapped in the middle of the night, shipped away to a school in upstate New York, like a school for troubled kids. I spent a year and a half there. Hmm. So no one was like really recruiting me in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some, I had some smaller opportunities or some, uh, some opportunities at some smaller schools. I just happened to live five minutes from Wake Forest. I knew the assistant coaches and, uh, and they believed in me when we spoke before we got on camera about sure. Bobby Muse. Like, I mean, I'm so thankful for him because he believed on me. He, he recruited me. And so Wake Forest, if anybody knows college soccer is a perennial top five powerhouse have been for the last 15, 20 years. Right. So like, as I go into Wake Forest, I'm, I'm, I'm competing against all of like high school Gatorade, uh, national player of the years, like sure. all Americans, captain of the U17, 15, U16 national teams. And I was just a scrub, man, just a local kid um, that was recruited welcome. didn't have a scholarship, but man, I, I loved it. You know, I think that vision is a great thing. So if you're a young kid and you're like, oh, I want to go pro, like hang on to that and, and fight for that. But don't get lost in that. Get lost in the process. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the journey is the destination. And that one thing that that's kind of struck me that I, I look back on my career is I didn't focus. I focused on the day, 
right or the weak sure. and uh, and getting better over time and so i was a late bloomer right when i got drafted so i was drafted fifth overall in 2007 and when i got drafted my college coaches told me uh they said well else we thought you'd never play a day at wake forest mm-hmm. and so i love that man because um you know exceeding expectations and just the underdog story I, everybody loves an underdog story sure uh but I love the process and I just, I wanted to get better and, and grow. And uh, we all develop at different rates, right? Like there's a great article about, um, I think it's Paul Scholes, who like, he, he was a small little redheaded freckled kid that no one believed in, but that a couple coaches, they saw real potential in. Mm-hmm. And in this day and age, man, we're so like, uh, we, you know, social media, we want success fast. Uh, I had sure. a telephone call from a, from a high school guy who just graduated this past year. And he was like, Hey man, do you have any, do you have any contacts at the, the new Charlotte MLS team? Can you have them come watch one of my games or something? And I was like, I was like, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm proud of you for asking me because I, I love that. That's awesome. Like, don't be afraid to ask. And right. The worst thing that you can get is a no, but I basically explained to him like, Man, do you know how many people want to be a professional athlete in right. in America and the MLS these days? I mean, they're they're pulling people from all over the world. It's not like, I mean, I haven't even seen you play, right? Like, so how am I supposed to vet, you know, get them to come out to watch you practice? And so basically, my message to him was, he's going to play uh, college soccer, and so I was like, what happens if you go to college next year and you don't play? Mm-hmm. Is that good? He was like, no. Well, what happens if you go to college next year and you score 25 goals? Do you think maybe you have a better chance of getting someone to come look at you? Right. Right. And so my message, the, the, the overall arching theme of my message was focus on getting better every single day, not comparing yourself to other people, not skipping steps. Like don't put the cart before the horse, just grind, man, work hard. And so when I look back on my career, I'm a, I'm weird. I'm goofy. Um, but I used to come home in middle school and do ab videos. I used to wake up with my dad at five in the morning and go running. Yeah. Like I would watch, I would eat lean cuisines in middle school. <laughs> I don't know why it's weird. I know. But like I sacrificed a lot and it's not all about sacrifice, but like I sacrificed a lot to get where I was going mm-hmm. when I was, when, you know, I, I started playing as a, as a freshman at wake um, but I wasn't, I wasn't a, like every game starter. I had to earn my time. So when, when the guys were partying or, or after games, like I would go running, I would work out. And so I noticed that like the easiest way we control what you can control. So sure. the easiest way that any of us can separate ourselves from other people is just to work harder than they to work harder than everybody else does. And so, you know, I think that's one thing that you can control that I'm always preaching to kids. Like, you know, if you want it, Believe in it and see it, but you got to go get it. Like it's not just going to be given to you. And um, at the end of the day, the process is is. And you hear Kobe Bryant talk about it, right? Like if every day I wake up and I get better, like doing that over ten years, like how good are you going to be? Yeah. And so that's a message that needs to be preached to kids and to to all of us, right? Like I need to hear that every single day. Yeah. I'm preaching to myself. And, and and the the extent the the period that it goes over, I get kids telling me, "Look, I had a good day of training. Good, do it again tomorrow." Like, 
week after week like uh, like we said with social media it's a now factor same with with that player i get the same same uh questions hey can you reach out to so and so and i've had this conversation with with so many people now and uh, i'm sure maybe some of the listeners of the podcast are like all right enough with this but if you're good enough you will be come a pro you'll have that opportunity but so often kids and players are looking to make this immediate jump that may be unrealistic at that moment but then over the progression you say okay go to college for a semester and, and score 20 goals and then there are going to be people knocking on your door and expressing interest but if you go to college and you don't play and you were to reach out then you look like the the bad guy like hey wells why are you telling me about this kid he didn't even play um right. so yeah just the con- the consistency of doing it day after day week after week is the biggest thing and not thinking okay i had one good training session now i'll get in the the starting 11 you know on on the weekend um it takes time and and to have that understanding and and patience and and to do it day after day after day after day is the the most important um uh piece that i think is lacking especially with uh uh some of the younger generations kids in high school now um, and younger, it's just this immediate wanting everything thing now yeah. and, and instead of working through the process and the journey and not skipping little steps in between, which so many steps get skipped in between where it's like, no, you need to take the next progressional step because if you try to take too big of a step and you fall, then you may be going down and you have to then build yourself back up to where you were doing well. So, um, yeah. They- Go ahead. Just to kind of piggyback on that, you know, so much of it comes down to what are you doing when no one is watching you? Mm-hmm. Like, and, you know, you're at practice or the coach comes around and you really start to give it your all. Well, what are you doing on the weekends? Or what are you scrolling social media? Or are you looking at videos? Or are you, are you putting the work in to get better? Because at the end of the day, we can all come up with excuses and it's easy to come up with excuses. But, you know, it's – you you know how bad you want it by how hard you work. So like you can't, you can't fool yourself. Right. Yeah. And so, and you'll get um, found out real quickly too, if you're not putting in the work and you're, you're you'll just be, be a pretender. Um, the, the, I, I find it fascinating too. And interesting that you have to, in a sense, beg and, and demand kids or even suggest to, to players, Hey, you gotta be doing work on your off days. Like just coming to training isn't enough. Like there, it's, you got to do whatever, go for a run in the morning on on the off day or you know what, you're, you're lacking fitness or or you're not playing. You want to build confidence. Fitness is the the foundational piece of it. If you want to be sharper on the ball, right? Be fitter because when you're fitter, you're in more control of your body and can control your breathing and can be, be better on the ball. So um, yeah, just simple things like that. It's so easy to go out and go for a run or, or get a ball and, and juggle in, in your yard or whatever space you have. The basics are the most the most important thing and you can do it so easily. You don't need you know complex drills or, or a million cones laid out or, or 12 balls to, to achieve something productive. You just need your legs and, and maybe a soccer ball, you know? Yeah, so, yeah it's, it's initiative and... and, and taking the initiative to put the extra work in, you know, I always, one thing I love encouraging kids with is we can get so lost in, in what others have done or what they've achieved. Right. So like my mindset going into Wake Forest was, man, these guys are good. 
this guy just got back. He captained the, the USU 17 national team. Like, he's a freaking baller, right? Well, I look back on my life, and, man, I thank God all the time that I went through all the crap that I went through as a kid. Like, being shipped away, getting involved with drugs and alcohol, like, just being an idiot, like, being cut from the North Carolina state team. I never made the state team. Um, like that was so good for me because it taught me, uh, how to get back up again. Right. It taught me to like, believe in myself. It taught me to like, uh, to not let people keep me down. Right. And so what you saw a lot at wake was you'd have these guys and everybody told them their whole life. They were the best because they were the best. Mm -hmm. Right. And they never struggled, but when they came to wake, they struggled. And so you saw some of these guys come in with these titles and these backgrounds that are like, holy cow, man, you were, you've done it all right. As a youth player and they, and they wouldn't play. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's what have you done for me lately? And, and as a pro, one thing that I struggled with was consistency. So some days I would go out there and I'd be the best player on the pitch. And then other days I go out there and I would suck. And so it's, it's, it's bringing the, how do you get extraordinary? It's doing the ordinary things over and over again, just a little bit better than everybody else. And so what separates you is you, is you climb the, the letters and the, the uh, ladder to success. Uh, it gets smaller and smaller the higher you go, right? So the, uh, the, the higher you go, you need to make sure that you're doing the basics and everything just a little bit better than everybody else. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great point and something that I I feel like needs to be reiterated almost every day to to players and to you know athletes that are trying to achieve you know I guess you could say greatness right to become to become a pro. Um, how, can you touch on that a little bit more because I feel like so so many times players put themselves in comfortable positions where then when they do face adversity, you talk about some of these top players. I, I've seen it too that uh you know were were their were the best player on their their youth team and then they get thrown into an environment like Wake Forest um where there's everybody's a top player everybody's a competitor and then you take that next step up the ladder when you're a pro and you're maybe the best college player uh on your team and then you're in an environment where you're with guys that have played whatever 5 years in the league have played over 100 games have played in whatever country and in, in, in a big time game and environment um, where that's one of the big things um, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with so so many players are bypassing high school and are just playing uh, for an yeah. academy team right and it's like well I don't I don't develop I'm not getting I'm not getting good training I'm not around good players uh, playing for for uh, my high school and it's like you're missing the point you can you learn so much and, and take on leadership roles. And when things get, when games get tough, if you're that good of a player, you can put your team on the back and help those players that maybe are, are not good players. Give them a good pass. Set them up in, in a position on the field where you can give them a pass and get into the next area You know, for, for you to be successful. You, there are so many important uh traits that you can gain by playing high school i'm not saying it has just has to be high school but it needs to be you need to also be in environments where there's adversity and you're challenged and you're not just the best player on the team or you're around the whatever other good players and, and everything is all all grand you know because when you do get thrown into 
I, I've seen it with with pro players. They get thrown in after, you know, or they get drafted out coming out of college. They get into the pro environment and they really struggle. Yet they were the best player in, in maybe college soccer, or the best player on their their college team, or whatever. And they're not adapted. They can't adapt to to the demanding environment or when there is adversity. So, is there something that you could touch on, or advice that you could share, or a personal story, something yeah, you've seen? Sure. Sure, you know, I think it needs to be said, and it, we kind of say, duh, but uh, it's a good reminder is that there is no one way. There's no sure. one way to um, to the pros, right? Um, and, and, and a thought that just came to mind is we need to reframe what failure is. And I, yeah, I see it in new sports. I, you know, I coach, I coach kids on the side. I do private training, and uh, recently I was, I'm training a 12-year-old, and his dad sent me some videos of him and he's a dribbler. He likes to dribble. Mm -hmm. And so his team is, um, every time he gets the ball, just kind of, he's known as the guy that dribbles. So everybody yells pass. And so I'm, I'm dissecting these videos. And, um, one example is a ball comes into him. He's 12, right? So it's like seven on seven and maybe nine on nine, something like that. Yeah. And as soon as he gets the ball, every one of his teammates goes pass pass it to me and so if you stop it you can you can see them all with their hands raised and kind of yelling but not a single one of them is open yeah and so what this kid does is he does a double step over so he's got four guys coming at him he does a double step over beats the guys to the end line gets a cross off goes out of bounds for a corner and so you hear on the sidelines you can hear the conversation his dad's filming his dad's not a soccer guy he's a he's a baseball football guy right? right and his dad's friend goes if only henry could learn how to pass there and so i'm seeing that i'm going holy cow did you just see what he just did for first of all nobody's open yeah. second of all he did a double step over and beat four guys to the end line and got a corner yeah like why is this kid getting scolded for not passing the ball and so i read his like performance reviews and i know i'm going on a tangent here but no go for it is, like it starts when i was younger so it starts for kids when they're younger, and, and, and we have to teach them to try new things, to take risks, right. and to, um, to let the coach coach, right? Like, as a parent, you know, you can hear the parents all yelling, like, pass the ball. And, and, the, and the, I told this kid's dad, I was like, your friend is completely wrong there. Like, what Henry did should be celebrated. His coach should see that and be like, blah, blah, blah. But his coach doesn't see it because all he sees is like he needs to pass the ball more, mm-hmm. right? So you think about the best players in the world. Who are the best players in the world? Messi and Ronaldo. What what can they do? Dribble. They can dribble, right? So if, if we teach kids how to dri- – if kids know how to dribble, yes, they need to learn how to pass and do the simple things correctly and For recognize sure. when they need to pass versus when they need to dribble. But if we don't let them fail and learn how to dribble when they're in a situation that they can't pass out of, they're going to be screwed. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Henry, man, you just, and this is, this is what the best players in the world do. Like they try over and over again, they'll fail 99 times and the hundredth time they'll believe that they can do it mm-hmm. and they'll do it. And that's what makes them great because they never lose faith in themselves. And so I totally forget your question that you asked. No, but- you, you touch on it because uh, you touch on it briefly based on, on what you said, but I was, was asking like, when players aren't the top ones anymore 
and then they face the the adversity so for example i'm sure like you mentioned not high school national gatorade player of the year they go into wake and then they're around u17 you know a national team player or uh, a player that's come out of let's call it Barcelona's youth academy from Spain and now they're all together and they're not the best one anymore and they're fighting for those 11 spots on the field or the one position in particular that maybe they all play and then they're not accustomed to dealing with the the challenges I I think of it particularly uh, to the pro level where there's a top college player right that goes into let's call it uh, Colorado Rapids right and they can't adjust to life because they're no longer the the best player, and they just had this mindset of of look, I was the best at high at the high school age level. I was the best in college. I'll be the best here, and then they yeah. get thrown in with guys that are veterans in the league that have played whatever hundreds and hundreds of minutes, thousands of minutes, right? And then, uh, or you have guys that have come over from Europe and played Champions League and have all this experience from your personal experience how how can players maybe uh, adapt a little bit better you talk about mindset talk yeah. about approach is there a, a specific situation where i don't know maybe you experienced it personally when you went in or you drafted by new england right so um when you went in there what things did you need to change in, in your approach to, to training to i don't know yeah. pre-game stuff whatever Hey, I'm, I'm very careful when I talk about this stuff to, to, to not make it sound like I'm the one that did all of this because I'm not. Like, y- yes, I, I'm a part and I, and, I, and I make decisions and choices, but I'm a product of my family, my environment, my experiences. So it, it would be remiss of me to say this is all me and this is what I learned to do. Like, I was taught this stuff. Like, I had parents that it didn't matter how good or bad I played, they loved me. Mm. And yes, they pushed me to like get better and to, and to play and to not quit and, to, and were always there for me when I struggled, but they never made me feel like I had to perform on the field to earn their love. So number one, that was huge. Like that was freedom to, to me to play and to really, because this is what God created me to do. I felt that my whole life and, and, he, and he definitely gave me some natural talents and abilities. Mm-hmm. And then, so then I have these barriers as a kid and I'm kind of working my way through this and hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm understanding the process as I'm going through it. I'm more just, I'm kind of living it. I'm, I'm a very spontaneous, like, you know, don't think much. And one thing I always teach to kids these days, it goes back to mindset is it's not just a physical game. Like it is so mental Mm -hmm. and life is so mental. So the more that we can mentally prepare, the better we'll be. So, um, yeah, I realized the other day when I was 10, 11, I would visualize before every single game driving to the game. I would close my eyes and I would listen to music, whatever music it was. And I would play the game out in my head. I'd score goals. I'd do assists. And I didn't know what I was doing. I don't know how I picked that up, mm-hmm. but I did it. And I and I'm, I'm I believe in that stuff. I think there was a time as a pro where I thought it was a little kind of hocus pocus, but I believe in it. And studies show that like visual visualization um, helps. I'm thankful that I had great people in my life, like my dad, who was there to pick me up when I didn't make the state team and say, "Hey." it's okay, man. Like let's get better. Let's go get them next year. 
And then they gave me the option. And, and uh, do you want to go try it? Yeah, I want to try it again. I know I should be on this team. I want to make it. Like, fail. You know, obstacles are are not detours to the way or to where we want to go. They are the way. Like we fail our way to success. And so, it, and it goes back to what I was saying earlier. My original thought was like reframing failure. We have two choices, right? If we fall down, we can either get up or stay down. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just, and, and we can break it down and make it as simple as that. Let's just get up again and let's just try again. Because at the end of the day, we don't know the plans that God has for us. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I, I don't know that Steve Nickel and Paul Mariner, the head coaches of New England Revolution, are at the ACC tournament my senior year. Right. Like I know there's some coaches there, but I don't know they're there and I don't know that they really like me. Mm-hmm. So we never know who's watching us. And it really, truly only takes one person to believe in us. Yeah. And so if we reframe failure and success, like is success getting everything that you want? And is it is it not having any bumps to the top or to wherever you want to go? I don't I mean, I don't think so, because I think that you're going to struggle wherever you wherever whenever you get there. Um so, and then going into Wake Forest, like it was the greatest atmosphere I could have ever been a part of. And, you know, Wake Forest is a special place is why they produce so many great um, players is because they, they really teach you how to be a pro, how to approach the game from a, uh, from a professional attitude, whether it's breaking down film, whether it's, you know, practice like you play, it's competing every, um, every Every play, every second is is as hard as you can. And so Jay Vidovich and Bobby Muse and Paul Forrester and all those coaches there just instilled that stuff in me. And so as a pro, you know, it's it's a different game. It's it's business. You have people that are have families and kids and it was I struggled and um it's a it's a big um it's a big transition. Mm-hmm. And uh so but you know, I think that my life beforehand prepared me for that. I think one of the greatest things that any of us can do is 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 um, have good people in our life that are gonna that are gonna pick us up when we're down, that are gonna tell us the truth, but in love, that are gonna speak life into us. I mean, so I, I used to be so into social media and Instagram and Twitter, and I, I quit it because I I couldn't take it. I couldn't take the negativity. That's one thing I really don't like in my life and won't tolerate much of because it's everywhere. And so I believe that what you focus on is where you'll go. And so if you focus on the good things, if you reframe the bad things to make them good things, like the better off you'll be. And the, and the more positive people that you have in your life that are going to pick you up and encourage you, the better. And then another a kind of quote that comes to mind is success leaves clues. Um, so like um, f- find people, read books, right? Like the greatest teachers in the world, read books. Um, and this is something that I didn't really do. I was a one trick pony, Clint. It was soccer, man. And soccer was my life. And I, and I lived it like I was going to play it for the rest of my life. And so when I retired, I was lost, I didn't have soccer in my life, and I didn't know who the heck I was. I mean, I went to Wake Forest, like, awesome college, right? I I couldn't tell you, like, I didn't care about school. I just wanted to play soccer. Mm -hmm. And so now, hindsight being 2020, I'm like, you're an idiot, Wells. Like, I wish I could go back and go to school again, have that time and, like, grow and learn. And, um, you know, it's the growth mindset versus the, the fixed mindset, like, 
am I just who I am and I was created with these skills and, or, or can I grow and develop and get better? Yeah. And so my belief is that, um, we can, we can grow and we can get better. And yes, we are created a certain way to have certain kind of, uh, inclinations and, uh, personalities or attitudes, but that doesn't mean that we can't grow and develop things that we aren't naturally good at. Mm-hmm. No, before we transition to that, you hit on two two great points in terms of the positive communication and the people that you're surrounded by, because that I think is super valuable. I don't think enough people have uh, enough discussions or intelligent discussions to whatever help make a decision to uh, to get out of a rut that you're in. Like if you're struggling your first year at New England. Yeah you're able to have discussions like, hey, I'm feeling this, like, what are your thoughts on, on, on this approach? Like, yeah. getting getting some different ideas bounced around. Um, so I think yeah, that's sorry to interrupt valuable. you, man, but can you put this in the show notes? Because one of the things I always do is say, guys, here's my cell phone number, here's my email, call me anytime, I'd love to talk to you, whatever. And do you know how many people call me or email me? And all these kids want to be pro athletes, right? Yeah. But none of them do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like, and, and that's not to say maybe they just don't think I'm cool. They think I'm too weird. I weirded them out or something. But like, <laughs> here, here I am, like a pro athlete. And most most guys are like that. Like, yeah. they extend the invitation. And and I, I I'm way more that way now because I don't have those opportunities like I did as a pro athlete, mm-hmm. and I miss them because I want to help kids out. So yeah. just put put my cell phone number and email in the show notes and call me. See if, what happened. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry. Keep going. No, that's funny. I'll bring up a, a quick point on that too. When I started working with the the agent that I work with uh, as a scout, we would say from the current clients like, "Hey, here's so and so's number. You know, a, a pro's number. Email. Reach out to him. Never reach out. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's nerves or or a certain comfort level, whatever. But yeah, it's funny that, that you bring that up. I'll for sure throw that in there. See, you got to let me know the, the feedback you, you get from that. But yeah, yeah sure. the, the conversations are, are super important. I don't think enough ones are being had, just decisions are being made, right? By players, um, especially from, from a youth standpoint, it's one of the, the biggest uh, concerns and issues I face is players and families just make decisions without having discussions and sure at the end of the day it's their final decision they can do what they want but i think if they make uh, and have uh, intelligent conversations they're able to make a better decision and they can really think out the next steps rather than just making the decision right and yeah maybe the right one but so many times it's the wrong one um and then the touch touching on the the visualization i think is so valuable that players don't do enough of when it's whatever going to training or going to to a game if they really take it serious it's one of the big things that i talk about often to my players and something that i picked up uh while i was at the university of akron was the visualization of whatever you're going to do if you're if you're a center back what are the responsibilities seeing watching the game and then really thinking about it um, as you prepare and head into that game rather than you talked about it earlier in the in, in the episode with just getting all hyped up and crazy and listening to the music rather than controlling and, and, and visualizing what you're going to do 
in the game I think is so valuable that like you said so many players just about getting hyped up and and getting riled up for the game and, and having high energy which yeah may work for some players but again often it's more often that you should should visualize and and calm yourself and prepare mentally rather than go on this sporadic uh hype session before the game so um, yeah affirmations is another one I'll throw out there like um having um, affirmations or, or just things that you say to yourself over and over again, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored or I feel great or I'm going to have a great day. Like, uh, and then having pictures of things that you can visualize that, you know, um, mean certain things to you. Like that's something that I've actually implemented in my life after pro sports mm-hmm. and something I wish I'd done as a pro player. Um, but there, there, there are a lot of conversations that go on, and the most important conversation that, that we have is with ourselves. And so what, what thoughts are we telling ourselves? When we walk out on that, on that pitch, are we saying, I hope I don't screw up today because you're gonna, where you focus on is where you're going to go, right? So if yep. you're focusing on the screw-up, you're going to screw up. And how many times do we, you know, if we screw up, we're looking at the sidelines, hey, oh, God, he's warming up. Is he coming in for me because I just screwed up, right? Yeah. As opposed to just playing in freedom, and, and and being allowed to mess up and and knowing that's a part of the game, but believing that like I'm gonna kick some ass today when I walk on the soccer field. So you started to transition into uh, life after soccer. I definitely want to talk about the podcast, which is the one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on because I think it's a great idea and going to be really valuable for high school players that maybe are transitioning to college and may not play in college. And then for the college athlete that uh, is pr- most likely unlikely to play as a, as a professional. And then uh, obviously for a professional like you to transition out of your professional career into uh, or your playing career into a uh, whatever, what do you want to call it? Work career right? Yeah. Uh, more nine to five career. So before that, I want to talk about this running aspect uh, and, and ultra marathoning, marathoning. And yeah. uh, you talk about finding that, that competitiveness. Um, and it's something that I've really gotten into and so, so grateful that I have because so many ideas and positivity comes from, from running. It was actually my, um, my wife's father that I saw him, he was always running, he was getting out, and after college, I kind of let myself go a little bit. Not anything extreme, but I wasn't driving myself uh, competitively. You look great now, bro. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm down. I I'm, I think I weigh the same as I did when I went in, or finished up college, so I'm back to, to where I was in, in 2014 at, at 170, but uh, yeah, I let myself go a little bit, was eating, wasn't working out, wasn't running, and then I would go for a run with him. We would do like uh, turkey trots on Thanksgiving. And like I was struggling. I was like, shit, I got to get myself together here because I want to run with, uh, you know, I want to run with my kids. I want to run with, with their kids. Like, I want to keep in, in good shape. And it's something that I've really uh, found to be positive and, uh, and valuable. So let I want to talk about, tie in... Uh, um, the humanitarian you were you won mls humanitarian of the year with congratulations that's a i think that's a fantastic award so seven years you played in the the league 
Seven years in MLS, two in USL. 100, 150 plus games I, I think I, I came across, right? So that's a huge achievement. And then transitioning out to the, I guess you can call it the real world. Is that what we want to call it? The, yeah. The, yeah. the so, non-professional yeah. athlete uh, world. Talk about getting into running, how you found that, why you got involved with it, and then uh, uh, hydration for humanity, I think it, it's called. Is that something? Hydrating humanity. Yeah, hydrating humanity. I yeah. think the, the running aspect is something that players at a younger um, age should get into as well because there are so many great causes when it comes to, to the run community. Somebody's always running for something. You know what I mean? Like there are so yeah. many, you talk about hydrating humanity. I know there's like stuff for veterans, there's stuff for, for cancers. Like I think it's important for, for players while they're playing to get involved in, in that community because there's always a cause and then finding that cause that then maybe they can help transition after they're done playing. Maybe they, like yourself, and maybe somebody is like, oh, wow, I had no idea that there was this issue with water in, in, in Africa. And maybe this drives somebody to to get involved in uh, whatever, a water business, right? Or whatever yeah. their, their cause is. Because that's something that I found to be amazing that the, the community, the running community, I mean, there's the, the biking community, there's all these different um, athletic communities that run for a cause or, or bike for a cause that I think could then tie into your next purpose or passion after playing. So talk about your experience a, a little bit here and then we'll definitely get into to the podcast and, and how that can you know help the, the players transition out of their, their careers. Yeah. Yeah, it was far back as I can remember, and, and I already mentioned like I was doing ad videos and, and running as a kid, and so I, I think it was kind of always a little bit part of me. I'm, I'm very, I'm driven by the physical, and so if I'm taking care of my body and working out, like everything else, the 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 emotional, the spiritual, the psychological seems to sure. be in in much better shape, right? So, <laughs> and as a pro athlete, I mean, basically my whole life was working out practice games. You call it what it is. You're, you're physically exerting yourself. And so when I, when I retired, um, I, I was looking to fill that void because I, I couldn't go let everything out on the soccer field. I couldn't go, you know, like I say often sitting in a, in a, in a meeting room or boardroom or like, I just want to go outside and tackle somebody. Mm-hmm. I want to go slide in the grass, yeah. like run outside. And so, um, it's, I, ultra running is something I stumbled into. I, I, you know, when I retired, I tried CrossFit a little bit. I liked that, but uh, was like, ah, this isn't it. I tried Krav Maga. I don't know if you know, it's like mm-hmm. Israeli yeah. Special Forces training. Yeah. And I, I really like that. Just time, like have family now, couldn't get into it. And so me and my wife and, and her sister signed up for a Tough Mudder. And so we went to Nashville and did this Tough Mudder. Well, I ended up like killing it, man. Like, um, doing really well. And so I, I liked it. And so the next, uh, that next coming week I was in the library and I saw a, there was a 50 mile run and a 50 K run in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, what the heck? I, I, I'll try it. And so I went, I signed up and I went. And so 50 K is an ultra run is anything over uh, a marathon. Yeah. So when I retired, I had no idea about ultra runs. I thought the marathon was like, this is it. This right. is how far you want to run. Nobody yeah. ever runs farther than a marathon. Well, there are some freaking crazy people out there that run extreme crazy distances. Yeah. 
Well, so I went and I signed up, and I'd never run an official race other than my Tough Mudder, which was like 11 miles, but with obstacles. And so this was 32 on trails, and I didn't take any water with me. My wife was like, "What? Why? I, just, I was like, I just don't want to run with anything. Well, it was the stupidest idea I had. I got extremely dehydrated, <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah. And so it was painful, and it hurt like hell. And I was like, this is awesome. So I, gra- I went to 50 miles. I ran 50 miles, and then I went to 100K, which is like 64 miles. Yeah. And so during this pandemic, I, you know, I, I, I've kind of gotten entrenched into the ultra running community and I would tell people I like to run Clint, but I don't like to run that much. Like, I'm not like, Oh, I want to go run. I'm like, man, I need to go work out and get sure. some, get the energy out. And so I just became so fascinated with this, this, the mindset, right? Like Navy SEALs say, when you think you're at your max, you're only 40% there. So and true. so yeah. people are like ultra running, run a hundred miles. That's crazy. No one could ever do that. Well, like we can do way more than we think we can. Mm-hmm. Our brain is like a governor to our body, right? It shuts off. It's like, Oh, you can't do that. So we believe these lies that we tell ourselves that society tells ourselves. And, you know, I have people approach me. They're like, you know, so I backtrack a little bit during this pandemic. I saw an opportunity to run a hundred miles for hydrating humanity and so Hydrating Humanity provides clean water to the people of East Africa. So it just boggles my mind that people today still don't have access to clean drinking water, right? Yeah. One of the greatest things that soccer has given me is the opportunity to travel the world and, and meet people from all over the world. Like when I think about my career and my life, it's not winning an MLS Cup championship. It's not winning a Super League title, U.S. Open Cup, and scoring the game-winning goal. It's like traveling to Africa. It's playing in El Salvador. It's it's meeting Omar Cummings from Jamaica, like Kosuke Kimura from Japan. Mm-hmm. Like those are the things that that remain with me. And so it's so easy to get lost in 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 our society and be spoiled. And so it just opens your eyes. There's there's a lot of people out there that are hurting. And so, although I don't, I, I try to live this way as much as possible, but the older we get, the more we understand, I believe truly what life's about. And it's not about achieve, achieving things. It's not about making a whole lot of money because I've met a whole lot of people that are very rich that are, that are really struggling. Right. Yeah. And it's about giving back. It's about serving. And, you know, Jesus, the greatest teacher of all said is, is more blessed to give than to, to receive. And so. Um, you know, I try to live my life that way. And so I saw an opportunity to run a hundred miles and try to raise money for hydrating humanity. And I had never run a hundred miles before. And, and, uh, I was like, I can do it, man. And so this goes back to my affirmations. When I hurt, when I run, I say, I feel great. I feel great. I feel great. My knee feels great. My knee feels great. And so it was super cool, man. We were able to raise, um, we raced over $22,000. We've already dug the wells. So we dug two school wells in Kenya. Um, so thousands upon thousands of kids will have access to clean, safe drinking water. And so hydrating humanity, they've been around for 15 years. They have a crew in Kenya and Tanzania, East Africa. And so they maintain these wells for life and they guarantee it. And so, man, it was just super cool. I just felt blessed. A lot of people, you know, donated. My brother ran a marathon with me. My wife went, ran a marathon with me. Um, I ran hundred miles in 24 hours and 40 minutes. And it sucked. Yeah, um, it was really hard, and it sucked. But it was like I don't know, man. Like it, it, it hurt for my body, but it's so good for my soul. Yeah, for like, your mind. I, I, I agree. I agree. You push, you push past those barriers and those, you know, those 
those things that the crap that we believe, man, like, and that's part of why I don't watch the news because you don't know what to believe. No. Nope. And people, people want to fill you and tell you, like, I had a lot of people reaching out to me for the race being like, that is not smart. Wells. And I'm like, Eating ice, a gallon of ice cream every night is not smart. Yeah. Sitting at, at your desk and never working out for years is not smart. Like, this is not smart. And here's a really cool story, Clint. So I did a, um, I did a story from my hometown, the Winston-Salem Journal, about this race just to create some PR. Mm-hmm. And the guy that, I, that did the interview said, Wells, I interviewed a guy last week, 76 years old. He's run over 250 ultra marathons in his life. And still to this day, he runs 100-mile races and 24 hour races, 76. Like we, I, it, I God bless him. <laughs> absolutely incredible. That is until I'm 76 years old. Yeah. So <laughs> no, that's, what, that's one of my we goals. Need. We just have to believe it and, and see it and, and go after it. And, and when those hurdles come and when the pain comes, we hopefully know our bodies enough that, you know, we, we know whether we should push past it or stop. No, for sure. And it's uh, funny enough yesterday, uh, I was only going to go out for like five, six mile run, just a nice casual pace. And then I, I at the beginning of, of quarantining, I, I said to myself, you know, I'm going to do at least half marathon a month. I was like, shit, we're coming up here to the end of June here. Like, I better uh, I better get one in here because I haven't done uh, half marathon. I was like mile five or six. And I started thinking about this. And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty tired, but, you know, I'm about f- 35 40 minutes in you know let me just get this one out of the way today let me not push it off to tomorrow because if i keep saying i'll push it off to tomorrow it'll be july and then i'll be like oh no i i missed it but to yeah you, you bring up this whatever 40 percent capacity and it's so important i think for 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 athletes and people in general just to to find that um whether it's running or, or biking to find that drive and it's like okay you know you you say three and you're feeling you know you're struggling at three try and push to to four and then the next next week or, or whatever two weeks next month you're at four every day and and you're consistently doing that try and push to to six and see what your your body to do uh, can do don't get complacent at at three or four so yeah, I, I find it the, to be the, the mental side is, is the most valuable part. Sure, the physical side has its its benefits, no question. But for me, it, it's more valuable from from the the mental standpoint and what you get out of it. And yeah, it may suck to do those six, seven, eight miles, but when you're done, you're like, damn, that felt felt good. Like that, um, let's go do you know something else. Let's go conquer the next. Uh, hurdle that that we have to to face for the day so yeah running biking whatever it is whatever physical activity you have just continue to to go after it to to max capacity and when you think you're at max just keep going i think it's it's super valuable so um, right just to relate that personally to just soccer is like the, so the beat test and the, yeah. at, at wake and I re, I'm, I'm realizing now that like so Wake and Akron have a lot of history together. Yep, yep um, they do. <laughs> there was a there was a lot of respect for Akron in the um, in the in the pro ranks. Not quite as much as Wake, but no, I'm kidding, man. But no, I hear who, you, you got the, you got the. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there's a, a. I think you have to give the education piece to to Wake, so it's a, <laughs> more of a, a battle. You know what I mean? I don't want to yeah. shoot down the education of Akron, but the reality of it is uh, Wake's. Uh, academics are probably higher and more challenging so to get out uh with a, a wake degree and to play there is uh 
is, is probably a, you get a little uh, more credibility. <laughs> yeah, but he's going back to like the beep test, right? So we would yeah. do the beep test at Wake and we do the beep test as a pro. And so where are you finishing on the beep test? And if you're in the middle of the pack or towards the end of the pack, what are you doing to get better, right? If you, uh, another thing we did at Wake was we ran two miles, we got a five minute rest and then we ran a mile. And so our three miles combined had to be under 70 and a half minutes. And so I remember vividly, I think it was my my sophomore year maybe or junior year maybe, that these two guys, um, Evan and, uh, dang, I can't remember that. I can't, it escaped me, the other guy's name, but they came back and they crushed it. Mm-hmm. like. That they they were like two minutes ahead of everyone. It was like they were lapping everyone, right? So, and that's something within your control. Yeah. I'm a big MMA fan, so I saw Dustin Poirier fight uh, Dan Hooker this past weekend. It was freaking incredible. Well, uh, Dan Hooker beat up Dustin Poirier in the first two rounds, like, but but uh, Poirier won because of his superior conditioning. And and so at the end of the fight, Hooker collapses on the ground, and Poirier's like. He's, he could go like five more rounds. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, that that's something that within your control that's easily – you're able – there's no excuses. You should be fitter than everybody else. Yeah. No, it's easy to control, right? You maybe can't control the talent, but you can control your, your physical. And for anybody that's saying, oh, no, I can't can't get any faster. I can't get build any more endurance. Uh, to put it in perspective, I think I'm running my best uh, 5K time in my life right now. So like even when I was playing, so like yeah. you can do it. I'm I'm 28. Like there are much yeah. more fit people at, or you claim to be more fit at 18, 19, 20, 21, right? right? But if you just continue to put in the work and put in the time, you can. People can do it. So if you're 15 and you think, oh, this is my max endurance, this is my max beep test score, like no, you got to be pushing higher. You can you can go higher and you can become more more fit and, and go up the, yeah. the levels. So I think what's important to, 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 to explain here too, is there's a difference between um, hard work and working smart, right? Sure. A, a buddy of mine said like, I can go pick up sticks all day in the forest, but I ain't going to make the forest clean. Mm-hmm. Right. So make sure that, because there's different kinds of training. There's right. What are you training for fast or, or slow muscle fibers? Right. And so, you know, it's probably not great if you're, uh, a pro player to go run a hundred miles. No, right. No. It's a lot of like slow twitch muscle fibers that you're working. And, and, and I noticed in my career, I think I I probably sacrificed a little bit of my quickness and my explosiveness for my endurance. Sure. Uh, yeah. So make sure you're trained to smart. And, and again, it goes back to the, the thought, the thinking of the game, right? Like what can I do to get better? You're constantly, you're strategizing, you're, you're critiquing, you're, you're figuring out ways that you can get better. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. I want to, to then transition now into the podcast that you've started. Um, and for you to talk a little bit about that. And then I'm sure based on points that you make, I'll have questions and divert onto to different routes to talk about a, a couple of different things. But I think the idea, this is the, the reason why, you know, we connected. Um, I came across the, the idea of your podcast. I think you pre- presented it on, on LinkedIn. And I thought it was similar in a sense of, of the podcast that I have here and just giving advice and, and some different perspectives on, on how to, 
take the next step, whether that's for a player going and making the decision to college or just to make a decision, should they play for uh, a club team because of a reputation or go play for a coach, whatever it may be. And then for your podcast to discuss uh, the, the perspectives of players coming and finishing their, their playing career and, and moving into uh, you know the nine to five workforce, let's call it. So talk about the podcast a little bit and then uh, I guess we can maybe talk about the, what the league offers in, in a sense in terms of MLS potentially progressing players uh, yeah. out of the league. If they even yeah, do that. Yeah, for sure. You always hear pro athletes talk about kids. You need to study. Don't neglect your books. And I didn't understand it. I I, I don't feel like I I, um, I didn't – I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, right? Sure. Because I, I, I didn't do that. I didn't focus on my books. I didn't focus on my studies. All I focused on was soccer. So that is a mistake, kids. Like you need to uh, – because you're going to live – you're going to live more of your life without whatever sport it is that you have – um, than you are with that sport. And so when I retired, because I didn't really focus, and it was probably the most asked question I got as a pro, was what we do after you're done playing. Yeah. And uh, I, I would always say, I don't know. I don't know. And, but it made me think about it and pray about it. But like I, I, yeah, I was doing some things, but I don't feel like I fully capitalized on my platform and leveraging you know, one of the greatest platforms there is. So I, I struggled mightily when I retired. It was, it was really hard for me. And so um, I believe that in order to prepare for life after sport, whether that's your, you know, your high school athlete and you're going to college or, and you're not going to play or whether you're a college athlete and you're not going to play pro or whether you're a pro athlete and you're, and you're going to, um, you're going to retire sure. is just to, to develop different passions. And I think there's this myth that like we have to focus hundred percent, like we can't have any other interests. We can't have any other hobbies. It has to be, full on whatever whatever sport we're playing like so soccer so like if if i have a balanced life it's going to take away from soccer Mm -hmm. i just think it's a lie like that doesn't mean that you don't sacrifice a lot for soccer and you focus on a lot but like i think it actually helps your life be healthier it helps balance things out and give you it gives you outlets to kind of get away and so i think it's it's great to have those sorts of things that didn't have them um, you know, I think what's tough for pro athletes is that, you know, when I retired, I thought that I would leave the sports arena and then I would, it, I would get a job parallel to, you know, how high I climbed in the, in the sports world, in the mm-hmm. business world. And so I would have these interviews and they'd be like, well, what kind of skills do you have? And, you know, tangible skills that you have. And so there's, you know, I think, and Mike Chabala on on the Shift podcast, which is the podcast I do with Jonathan Van Horn, the Shift podcast. The Shift uh, podcast for the listeners. Yeah. Check it out. Mike Chabala <laughs> said, he just reminded me that the only constant in life is change, right? Like there's change, we're going through transitions. And so if we can prepare for that, and the more we prepare for it, the easier it will be. Look, I'm not going to say that, um, it, I don't think it's probably possible not to, to have some sort of difficulty when you're transitioning to life after sport. I just think it's kind of like a, yeah, uh, it's a grieving. Lindsay Vaughn said like, it's a, it's a grieving process. Like she's mourning a death. Mm-hmm. And I truly think that I'll probably mourn that for the rest of my life because pro sports is a false sense of reality. My, my wife says that and it just, you don't understand 
um, the real world in quotes, I'm quoting myself, um, and, and just how hard it is. And so I think what's great for pro athletes is to understand that they have so many skills that correlate to the business world. I mean, I think it is the greatest training ground for life. I mean, you think about it, think about all the intangible things, how to work with a team. I mean, I think the greatest skill set that I provide is that uh, I've, I've traveled all over the world and I know how to work in a team with people from all over the world, from all different backgrounds, some of them that don't even speak my own language. Um, you think about what you learn from failing and getting back, back up, the determination, uh, the ability to sacrifice and set long-term goals, um, delayed gratification. I mean, the list can go on and on and on, right? But we, but we as athletes, we need to do, we need to understand this for ourselves because the business world won't necessarily understand that. And, 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 and I felt like I was viewed very differently as a former pro athlete versus a pro athlete. I mean, as a pro athlete, I feel like I could probably get a meeting with anybody, but as a former pro athlete, people just look at you a little bit differently. And it's kind of like, what have you done from relate? What have you done for me lately? And it's, it's not as cool. And so sure. we need to understand and do the work necessary uh, to, uh, be able to communicate the skills that we will bring to whatever job that we go to next. And so, you know, your network is your net worth. I think at the end of the day, life's about relationships. Um, my first job after pro sports, I, I, I started my own company in 2011. So private training camps, that, that sort of thing. But when I left the game, I needed to figure out who I was, who was Wells Thompson, because now, I believe, you know, it's like when you meet someone, what's the first thing you ask them? What do you do? Yeah. Right. And so we, we relate what we do with who we are. And I don't believe that's true. Like who I am is a, a son of God. Um, who I am is I'm a father. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a friend. Way more than a pro soccer player or what that is. But I didn't understand that when I retired, my identity was all in pro sports. And so it was a struggle to kind of figure that out, you know, panic attacks, um, who the heck am I? You try to find yourself in other outlets that aren't healthy. And uh, by the grace of God, I got a job through a connection I'd made out in Colorado. I used to get his family uh, tickets to the games. And, and he was like, I know who you are, man. I know what you bring. I value you and the skills that you have. Here's a job. So I took that job for three years and I learned a whole lot. And um, and I left that job recently because I have I'm a, I'm a dreamer. I'm looking to buy a business. Um, I'm starting some companies. And so one of those outlets is the shift podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I ran away from soccer, but soccer has been my life for my whole life. So what I, what I yearn to do is, um, help others that are going through the things that I've gone through, gone through. I believe that we don't just go through things for ourselves, but for other people and that God wants to turn our pain into purpose. And so well, me and Jonathan Horn have started the shift podcast. It's just to help pro athletes transition to life after sport. It's been super cool. Um, another thing that I've started is called soccer resilience um, with a clinical psychologist, Brad Miller out in California. And so what this is, he's, a, he's kind of the psychology guy. And um, if you haven't read this book, uh, mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've heard of it. Yeah. Check it out. Put it in the show notes, Clint. It is phenomenal. It'll change the way you view failure and a lot of the things that I'm talking about. But so what we're trying to do is is speak to, to clubs, to teams, to youth 
um, to kind of help teach them these things so that as they go through them, they can see them in the right perspective and right light. Because as I've hit on and said over and over again in this podcast, it's life is 90% mental. It's 10% what happens to you and 90%, you know, what you do with it are mental. Sure. Um, and so we want to, to kind of help equip kids with the, the tools and um, so that they can face failure, so that they can um, see it in the right light and those sorts of things. So, yeah, man, it's it's been fun. It's been a journey. Um, I wish I was still playing every single day. I mean, I told my wife, and it's hard, like – you know, it's funny. I, I was I was trying to find my draft video the other day, yeah. and so I went online and I saw a negative comment, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And it like it um I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. Yeah. I was like, "Man!" And so you know, I had to be like, "Man," I had to put it in the right frame and yeah. be like, "Man, it is what it is, right? right? Like you can't please everybody, no. and it's not a big deal. Like stop freaking out." But like my mind wants to go, "Wells, you suck." Yeah. And that's what I think, like for the majority of my retirement career, like I'm more happy now, Clint, and more fulfilled in my life than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And, but it took me a long time to say that because anytime I say like, how you doing? I'd be like, oh man, I'm, I miss it every day. Yeah. I wish I could go back. And so I look back on my career as a failure. I played nine years of professional soccer. And when I think of Wells Thompson as a player, I think of failure. Like that's not right. Like, why is that, right? And so I think as, you know, it, ambition is a great thing, um, but, but, but I think that it's easy for us to find our worth in what we do and how other people view us. And so it was never enough for me. And so, like, um, Wake Forest, I just want to play one game, mm-hmm. one game, Clint, just one game. And then I play a game, it's like, I just want to start one game. I just want to start every game. I just want to go pro. I just want to win the MLS Cup. And so after all of these things, they, I'd be like, man, this is it? Mm-hmm. Like I've sacrificed my whole life to win an MLS Cup, and I don't feel any better than I do. And it was great. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Like I don't want to change it or take it back, but it wasn't fulfilling. And mm-hmm. so, you know, um, I, I, and I think that to live a fulfilling f- f- – fulfilling – is that a word? Fulfilling life? Yeah. Fulfilled yeah. life. Like it's about people and it's about giving back and yes, you got to make money in the process, but like sure. if you, you find your purpose and your why and what you care about and how you're wired and, and so we're trying to use our stories to help other people. No, I think, I think that's great. And you, you, so, pe- listeners are probably like, wait, you, you did this, you did that. Wow. You did that too. Wow. You did this as well. Yeah. And it's like, what do you mean not fulfill? And then you bring up the, uh, I think one I want to touch on, th- that's the incremental steps that you need to take as a person or a player in in, in continuing to, to progress in whatever you're doing, those incremental steps, right? Play one game, one start, uh, score one goal, whatever, and incrementally progress like that. And then you talk about the the people part, like sure the championships are, are great, but my lasting memory as a player are all the relationships and you and you talk about the network which i think is super valuable valuable for people to to hear um i want to ask you about what's going on in the league Uh, i know you're a few years removed but there's like if a player wants to stay involved in the game the league 
uh, and the federation helps the players with coaching licenses, right? Aside yeah. from soccer related, are there any resources provided to players to help them transition from their playing career to their work career? You know, I think that, um, so the MLSPA, MLS sure. Players Association, they've really over the past, you know, they've really tried to ramp things up and, and, and you know, start some things to help pro athletes um, as they transition, you know, whether it's through internships, whether it's creating a community, um, whether it's just, you know, um, creating content or um, those sorts of things. So they're, they're definitely doing stuff. I don't think enough um, is being done. And it's, look, it's hard. I don't have all the answers. It's, I don't know, you know, what needs to be done. So I, I'm definitely showing grace to people. Um, but, you know, what's really cool is seeing, like, you know, Amobi Akugo, um, soccer player, sure. LeBron James, Kevin Durant, like all these athletes that are saying more, I'm more than an athlete. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's, it's, it's what should, what pro athletes should do, right. Is leverage their platform while they have it. Because for most of us, it's extremely short. Yep. The average players like three years. So you use that to your advantage to prop yourself up for life after sport. The problem is it's really hard to convince players that they need to, they need, but I think it's, I think it's coming, right? There's, yeah. there's more talk, there's more communication around it, but it's hard to convince them to like, I think back me and my wife were talking the other day. I've got, I'm married. I've got three young kids. And when I was in Colorado, we were like, what did we do with our time? As a pro athlete, soccer player, like we're probably, I'm at the office sure. for like three, four hours a day. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, you know, resting is a part of your job and you always say that, you know, but like, what the <laughs> heck did I do, man? And so um, it's really cool to see a lot of players take the initiative and to, to see the leagues do some things. There, there are a lot more things that can be done, um, I think, but it, it's hard. So. I I think the first hurdle to, to overcome, and maybe you can touch on this, is there enough done to, or probably not enough done, unfortunately, to help players uh, find that purpose or passion outside of the sport if it isn't staying involved in the game, whether that's coaching or, or some sort of player management? Is there discussions had in terms of finding other interests to then, you know, like I said, with the, the running situation, finding out... You know, okay, maybe I, I want to get involved with a water company because, uh, you know, there needs to be wells built in, in uh, Africa or whatever it may be. Is there talk about, you know, helping players find find interests, other interests outside of the game? Yeah, I, I think the MLS, MLSPA is doing a lot. They're doing like a rookie symposium for all those who are being drafted. They're inviting a lot of former pro players to come back and to – to talk and kind of share their experience. The thing is you're making a hundred G's out of college. Um, you, you work for four hours a day. Yeah. Like it takes a super mature person to be like, okay, I need to finish school. Okay. Like if, what if you just spent an hour a day reading Sure. or an hour a day trying to get your MBA or an hour a day. And so, you know, the MLS is partnering with um, some, I forget who they are, but some online Southern New Hampshire. Yes, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Um, and 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 I think the MLS pay. So I've been removed for since 
from the MLS since 2014. So, um, you know, the, there's probably a lot that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do. I believe that the MLSPA is doing a lot of things. Again, it goes back to it's hard to convince players that they need to do something, right? They're living their dream. They're like, don't want to be distracted. Yeah, there's a part of you that that knows it's not going to last forever, but you don't want to entertain that. You don't want to be like, ah, because then you feel like you're kind of half in, half out, and that's a that's a lie. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that I think that the you know the general public can um, that people can do a lot of things. That the way that we view pro athletes is like, you know, for example, I posted an article on LinkedIn the other day. Chris Paul, who's I grew up playing basketball against him, we played at Wake together. He said the last thing any athlete needs to do is shut up and dribble. Right. So you have some media news person saying, yeah, LeBron James, whatever, needs to shut up and dribble. Yeah. Like that's so hypocritical. Sure. You don't yeah. tell CEOs or any other any anybody else that wants to talk about the issues that they care about to shut up and dribble. Mm-hmm. And so I think athletes need to view that way. They they can bring so much to the table um, and have so many skills that are transferable. Um, and, and, and that was the thing people would say what do you want to do, Wells? And I say, I don't know. And they would always follow up with Clint. Don't worry. Everyone loves to hire pro athletes. I didn't find that to be the case. Mm-hmm. And so, wow. um, you know, you th- and, and, and that again, it comes back to athlete understanding the value that they bring to the table. And, and I wasn't there yet. I didn't do the work necessary in order to transition. The, the, a lot of people think they'll, tra- they'll, they'll take the time to transition when it happens and, to me, it's a little bit too late. I mean, if you've made a, yeah. a bunch of million dollars and you could take a couple of years to figure it out, but like I didn't, I started that, having kids. That's a majority of players too, right? In terms of not everybody's having hundred million dollars in the bank or millions of dollars in the bank, right? To say, I'll chill for a year or the rest of my life. So often it's like trying to figure out that next step while you maybe can give yourself a, a handful of months, but there's also that that time period where, you know, you need to have some things lined up to then start earning again, right? So, um, what what advice would you give players to, or, or, or thoughts to give players? Like, look, this is what you need to be considering, maybe uh, earlier in your career or towards the end of it, so you can prepare for that transition. Yeah. So, is to um, you know figure it out. So, like, if you, if you don't know what you care about, what other interests you have, like, do the work necessary to figure it out. Like, take classes, uh, talk to people. Uh, it goes back to, like, focusing on your books. Mm. So, in college, I, uh, you know, most of the athletes did communications. I was like, right. I don't want to do communications. Uh, everybody's doing it, blah, blah, blah. I always try to be different from everybody. But, um, I, you know, I didn't really take time to focus on what I – or to figure out what I, what I cared about, what I was passionate about. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I retired, I was like, oh, I don't know what I care about. I care about people and Jesus, and soccer and sports. And so I think that's where most athletes are like, oh, no soccer. I'll just go into coaching. Okay. So being a coach is very different from being a player. Yeah. Like it's why they're, it's really hard. And uh, it's why you see a lot of great players that aren't good coaches. And so um, do, do take, Take classes, learn and grow. I just think that, you know, reading anything that you can do to, to, to grow, but the, the, the best time to start is now. Like the earlier you start, right. the better you'll be. Leverage your platform. Um, if you're a pro, start a podcast on anything, whatever it is. Um, have a meeting a week with someone that you don't know. Use LinkedIn. 
LinkedIn is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. And so uh, build your brand, you know, the, all these kind of things that like people talk about all the time. And like, I, we just started a podcast. I wish I started one 10 years ago. It would have been awesome. Sure. Like, and, and think about the work and uh, a little bit goes back to, I know I, Go on tangents. No, all the go. Time. Well, go for it. That's what podcasts are for, right? It's not like yeah. we have only two minutes to talk to you. So, yeah, it goes back to like I only have ten followers. Whatever. Um, you know, I think that uh, what again? What is success? Is it like impacting people, or is it like having the most followers? Yeah, right. Like, don't really care about you, or get one person to listen to it and they find value in it. That's yeah, success in 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 relative terms, right? Like. It, yeah, I could. I want it to to be productive, right? And if that's five people saying it's productive, and twelve people that say, "Oh, well, that was that was a waste." Well, it was valuable for five people, and maybe it, it changes their it changes their perspective, and and they get productivity out of it, and they you know move forward in a, a positive manner in their their career, whatever they're trying to achieve. So, yeah, yeah. I think the the platform of, of podcasting and, and sharing information. Um, openly like this, I think is for for the next generation. That's why I got involved in coaching too. Is I want to share the information that I uh, didn't get as a as a player to pass along to make that next the next generation um, you know better than my generation was, and give them the information necessary to make maybe a better decision in in a certain situation. So. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's great what it, what the platform provides because you get a real understanding of the context of how things are shared rather than maybe reading it and not really understanding the uh, how it was uh, supposed to be shared in terms of whatever how it was written right. So getting the actual uh, voice and how is it it's expressed and maybe getting more into detail uh, on something that you would just write a sentence on. But if you have a conversation about it, you make the point and then you talk about the, the details. And if, you know, if you didn't understand something, well, as you would say, oh, can you clarify this or, or share this perspective? And then you go yeah. more in depth and there's a better understanding involved. So, um, yeah, podcasting is great. So I think that's how, another, we, how we got there. Thing, yeah. Another thing, too, is I think agents can play a role in this, too. Right. Like sure. agents yeah. help their players understand. And so the more the more people that are kind of you know, pointing athletes and people in the right direction and kind of giving them, them this advice, hopefully though they're, they're more apt to take it. Uh, one of the things I did was, so I was, I played in New England for three years and I was traded to Colorado. And so I remember making a conscious decision that I was going to say yes to every opportunity that came my way. Hmm. So, and, and I, I approached the community director, um, um, Marissa Coliano, um, I approached her and I said, look, I want to do every single appearance that you have. Please put me on every single thing. So I, wanna, I, was, I was in the hospitals. I was like, you know, teaching kids. And a lot of players didn't like that. They, you know, they didn't want to be involved in that. But I wanted to because I understood that, like, it's really about meeting people and, and, and about connecting with them. And um, so there are, a lot, there are a lot of things I would do differently. I would probably have business cards and I would – uh, I'd give my business card to every person I met on a plane or every person I met at a clinic. And when I got business cards, I would actually keep them and I would respond with uh, with an email like, hey, great to meet you on the plane today. 
and, and, and I'll keep those lines of communication open great throughout advice. my career, right? You, you know, you find those people that you really gravitate to that you feel like you want to be like and, and you, you keep those lines of communication open because most people want to be, be, uh, be – they want to be around pro athletes. They want to say they know them. And, and so you really need to leverage that for your life after when people aren't going to care as much, you sure. know? Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a great point in terms of the, the business cards. And I know a, a handful of players that find the, the uh, player appearances to be very valuable in a sense that they get out, they get to network, they uh, people on the outside gain a better understanding and become familiar with that player and who that player is as a person. Um, and, and that the network grows then and opportunities can come from it. And then there are a lot of players that are like, um, it's like, I'm not going and doing this appearance. Like I just trained for whatever, two hours, I'm going to go home and, and rest. But that extra hour that most appearances are two hours at most, right? It's like, what can come from that? The opportunities that can come from that could last literally a lifetime. Right. So, um, yeah, those that's a great point with the player appearances and, and cards. And even if it's not player appearances, if you're in college going and volunteering locally um, around the school and, and growing the network there, usually these college towns have unbelievable communities to, to get involved with and and so many people that are are open and willing to help. So um, from a sense of, of, of business standpoint, I feel like that could be a great opportunity for for yourself in a sense of being that outlet that players can go to where you can navigate the the route and maybe uh, help them through the decision making process is almost like a consultant like figuring out the player's interests and then providing them with a few different options and things to think about and then helping them make that next step because I feel like that's a need because like you said what is it a professional athlete's career is is two three years and if even if that it, it's great right but um then what is that next step of their career look like and a lot of times there's there's lost time over whatever six months to a year as as they figure it out and maybe they get into something that they don't enjoy so easing that transition i feel like is something that's needed not only in soccer but in in sports in general to help players navigate their next step yeah no doubt one of the the first things i did when i retired was i called uh, a lot of my old teammates and 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 friends because i didn't reach out to them when they retired Hmm. and it's it's a bubble right you you think like oh my god the whole world's focusing on you because you're a pro athlete and my like my wife says a false sense reality i mean as a pro athlete you you were told everything you're told when to be where you're told what to wear um, you're told what to pack. You're told, you know, everything, your meals are prepared for you. Like your, you know, your room's assignment, like everything, your seats picked on the plane for you. And yeah. so you're like, yeah, I just have no idea, um, about real life. And I didn't, I'm speaking for myself. Okay. I know there's a lot more mature people out there and smarter than me, but, um, yeah. So it was, I called my friends. I was like, look, man, I'm so sorry. How are you doing? Are you okay? Like, how was the transition? And every single one of them was like, it sucked. It was really, really hard, man. Like, I didn't know who I was. I drank and I drugged and I tried to figure it out. And, and man, I still struggle with it. Like, how are you doing? I'm like, man, same thing. You know, I mean, it's, 
you know, I hate to relate it to the military because I think that they probably goes, I, I can't speak on that experience, but sure. like, and, and it's different, right? What, the, what their experience is way different. I'm not trying to compare it, but like you're in war and then you're coming out and you're like, oh, I'm a civilian. And so in a, in a much smaller way. For sure. Yeah. Not as extreme. Yeah. I think yeah. the listeners will get that for sure. Yeah. yeah. But like, man, I was like, what the heck is going on? Um, people don't really want to be around me anymore. And like, uh, man, nobody's telling me what to do. I got to figure this out for myself. And so that was hard, you know, and, and, uh, but it's, you know, the hard things are the good things because I, I didn't grow in an MLS cup. I'll tell you that, like I grew getting cut. Like I grew sitting on the sidelines after I got my three red cards in a row. Mm -hmm. Like that sucked. Mm -hmm. And I always say, um, you know, the lessons that we learn are for our good and his glory, but they suck learning. They suck. Mm. Like ultra running or running yeah. a half marathon, every, whatever, yeah. every day, whatever, once a month. Like it sucks sometimes, yeah. but sucky things are good things. Yeah, there's a bigger payoff in the end. Um, what else from a podcast standpoint? I know you're a couple episodes in. What, what's the plan for the podcast? How can those players that that come on the podcast obviously they're going to share some interesting perspectives on how they transitioned into their career path what what is the goal is there a, you know a way that um you can maybe start a, a consulting business to help players in mls in usl probably even more right they need the help in, in a sense to to provide the the next step of of their life um is there a bigger goal from the podcast? I guess is my question. Like how, how can you also provide a, a consulting or a business aspect of things to help players, um, to, uh, to, you know, transition into, to the workforce, let's call it. Yeah. You know, we've, we want to, our goal is to help, help athletes transition well. And one thing that we all have is a story. Sure. We all have stories. And so oftentimes we, we don't, see that in the right perspective. We see the experts, right? Like, uh, we're the experts. We got to just go to these people and figure it out. And, you know, one of the things going back to social media and going to appearances, one of the things that really helped me as a man, as a human being, as a player is to be who I was created to be. It is so easy to look at the next guy, to look at the next Twitter account and say, I'm going to be just like that guy. And yes, the sex success leaves clues, but like, uh, we're all created individually and we have a certain skill set. And uh, so, you know, being comfortable in my own skin, being a freaking goofball, right? Like smiling all the time and being me. And uh, the more that I can embrace that, more that, the more that I can embrace my pain and vulnerabilities and like, like soccer's been great in my life, but it's also brought depression. It's also brought, like, I'm a man who struggled with an eating disorder. Put a label on that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, um, you know, like suicide. Right. Like soccer's brought me to that point because I wasn't playing. Yeah. And so it's like, what's life's not worth living anymore. And so I believe that there's in vulnerability and, and authenticity, the more that we can share weaknesses uh, and people gravitate way more to to um, to the bad things we do or to our weaknesses or to our failures than they ever do our successes. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do at shift, the shift podcast is give athletes a platform. We want to help athletes that are going through transition. We want to help prepare pro athletes that will one day face that. And we want to give athletes a, um, 
in, in all those spheres. So like before transition, during transition, even after transition to share their experiences. Cause again, I don't think we go through what we go through for ourselves, but for other people as well, mm-hmm. um, give them a platform to share their stories because, um, s- stories change, right? Like, uh, sure. uh, facts tell stories, sell, like we are wired as human beings, um, to receive and to, uh, to communicate stories. Yeah. And so the more that the, the, there's healing in our stories, there's healing in our pain. And I think that the more that we're open with that stuff, the more, the more people we're able to help. And, um, my dad says it all, all the time, like the, um, the conversion of speaking, like, so a, a speaker is speaking to himself first and foremost, before he's speaking to anyone else. Like a teacher is teaching themselves first and foremost before they're teaching anyone else. Like so, everything I'm saying on this podcast and relating is like I'm speaking to myself. Hmm. I'm learning. I'm teaching, and I'm reminding myself that like, yeah, this is really what it's about. Yeah. And so, at the end of the day, we want people to know that they're loved for who they are, for who they were created to be, and not by what they do. Here's the crazy thing to me: I, people look up to me just because I kicked a stupid ball. Like I could be the worst person in the world, but if I was the greatest soccer player in the world, people would love me. Hmm. And so I think often like, Clint, who are your heroes? Like who are my heroes? It's not pro athletes. Hmm. It's teachers. It's people fighting for our country. It's, um, it's people standing up for, um, like, yeah, black lives matter. I'm not talking about the organization. I'm talking about people. People matter. All people matter. Native Americans matter. Justice matters. Like people in prison matter and, and they have stories. And so one of my favorite sayings is I love Jesus. We're all level at the foot of the cross. And so I I notice in my life, I've always had a really hard time with people that look down on other people or that think they're better than other people for a specific reason. And this is kind of a funny story. This is who I am. But like, I remember playing against Tierra Henry. And I'm trying to get fired up, right? Like he's a giant and he's a freaking mm-hmm. legend. He's got a statue outside of himself, outside of Arsenal. And you know yeah. what I told him? I said, look, man, I put on my pants just like you do, one leg at a time. <laughs> like he's the same man as me. And in God's eyes, like we're all viewed the same. And But in the society that we live in, um, pro athletes are, are the end all be all. And so, and we shouldn't be looked at that way. But although we are looked at, looked at that way we should use that platform and who we are and our access to society to help other people and for good Mm -hmm. and for not just to 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 leverage ourselves and um you know i so anyway man like the george floyd stuff right like as as a white man what does that mean for me like in our history like you can't erase history and so you know, like I've really struggled with that. It's been really hard for me. And I just don't, I, you know, like I heard from my black brothers and sisters. I heard from my, like, there's one race. It's a human race. Mm-hmm. There isn't like race is a man-made thing that we started identifying ourselves with. And so you, I, I swear I get real passionate about is like labels. Don't label me. Mm-hmm. Like don't, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I don't talk to me about, I'll talk to you about politics, but don't talk to me about politics. I don't want to talk about politics. Like, mm-hmm. It's just negative. Mm-hmm. If I tell you I'm a Democrat, you think you have me pinned. If I tell you I'm a Republican, you think you have me pinned. But at the end of the day, we don't know each other. Mm-hmm. And so why do we label each other? Like, 
you know, and so we're people, man. I just want to love people well, and I want people to feel loved. And, you know, like my wife and them, they're a marketing agency that works for nonprofits. I mean, they work with incredible clients, like um, kids that don't have limbs and they're trying to raise money to um, fly them to get surgeries wherever they need to, right, or whatever. And, like, man, that's freaking awesome. Like, you know, and, and that goes back to running a little bit. Like, it's okay. Like, I, I told my wife, I, since my 100 miler, I've had um, IT band issues. Oh, and so I haven't been able to run. It sucked. Like, I can't run. And so I just need to not run. And I, I, I waited three weeks and I ran and it hurt like hell. And I just reminded myself, it's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I can hurt like that because there's a lot of people that can't they can't yeah. run they can't yeah. do anything you know they like they can't see and you know like nick nick vujicic do you know who he is i think i know that was he a basketball player vujic no he was a, he was on us he's an australian guy that was uh born with no arms and no legs oh no i don't know who you're talking about like yeah. he he's uh he's a motivational speaker he's got a family he surfs he's got like uh just his feet maybe or like nubs but like mm-hmm. he can walk around and uh, but no arms and no legs and it, he's like he man that's inspiring right like 100%. <laughs> so uh, i don't even know what i started no talking but about. look i was just gonna, i was just thinking about that too i was i was retracing it as you were talking the listeners are probably like how in the world did these two get to where they're at but it comes back to the podcasting putting things stories each story has a perspective they all have information that needs to be shared and humans right that's all all one race if we can all help each other you know all treat each other as equal or if you have information try and help them you know understand the information that that you have um and just share ideas and, and bounce them around so it did make sense actually to where we got to so yeah that's what soccer's given me, man. Like, I don't think I have that perspective or the perspective I have now if I don't if I don't have soccer in my life because sure. I think I probably stay in Winston Salem, like where my whole family is. You know, it's the South, so like, you know, I don't go up to I don't go up to Boston to live. I don't travel to the Congo. I don't travel to Chile. I don't go to El Salvador and play. And I don't know these people, so like, it's different. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what soccer's given me, I man. It's great. Yeah, I feel I the same way. That's one of the greatest things anybody can do is, is travel and see the world and mm. meet people. Like diversity is a great thing because God created it. Yeah. Like no, we're not better I'm than anyone else. I'm with so. you on that. All right. To wrap up this podcast, I, I remember we started this and I was like, Oh yeah, we'll we'll be good under under two hours. I think we're we're pushing two hours here. But most memorable the way i wrap it up most memorable soccer experience i know you've brought up the the red cards i don't want to hear about the red cards i want something positive uh or some some uh you know piece of advice maybe to to leave the listeners with Uh, getting drafted you want me to tell you the story go for it yeah that's your most memorable moment the floor is yours my friend so 2006 we had lost in the final four uh, first time in wake forest history the college cup we lost to santa barbara we crushed them in the game we went to pks they beat us um and so we our season was done two days before the draft my jay vidovich calls me in his office he says wells you need to go up to indianapolis there's some teams that like you blah blah Blah, 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 whatever. Like if you're a first round draft pick, the league flies you up. Well, me and my mom and dad, we flew up on our own dime and 
it's kind of like the who's who. Like we were the Beverly Hillbilly Billies. <laughs> Not many people know who we were, but we knew who they, who they were. And yeah. So my dad, come draft time, there's a section court off for the players and their family. My dad gets a front row seat. And I'm like, Dad, no, I'm going to be the guy that sits there. Well, New England traded up. They had the 11th pick, and they traded up the 5th pick, and I knew that they had liked me. And so in their previous years, they had drafted a whole lot of scrubs, like Michael Parkhurst and Clint Dempsey and James Riley, you know, guys you never yeah. heard of. Yeah, I'm kidding. Also, I know them. Right? I know them names. Yep. Yeah. And so I was like, there's no way in heck that they're going to pick me, right? Well, they go from Wake Forest, you know, midfielder. My best friend, Ryan Solly, was sitting next to me. He was a two-time All-American at Wake Forest. He told me after the draft, he started to stand up because they thought they were going to call his name. Yeah. Well, they called my name, and it was like, dream world and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to trip walking up the stairs to to shake the commissioner's hand you know and um it was just a day i'll never forget man and then everybody knew who i was and they wanted to talk to us and that sort of thing and it was a dream come true man like one of the greatest days of my life and interestingly interestingly enough ryan Solly actually got drafted to new england in the late in a later round and so we played together for a year but i'll never forget that day Oh, that's great. That's a great story and, and insight. And you've shared so many um, great stories and perspectives that I think are valuable for for the listeners, um, you know, to maybe apply to their day to day and how they approach things with their mindset. And, you know, if there is a challenge that, uh, you know, they continue to work to overcome it, that it's not that's not the hardest point that there's going to be a more challenging point that they can get to and not just to use whatever 40% of their body to really push to get up to using 70 80% of their body if uh even if there is that that pain and threshold that they think is is the cutoff but to to push through it so um well again the podcast the shift podcast uh, I'm going to throw your your number or email whatever you prefer in the show notes and then whatever you want to wrap up with yeah man the ship the ship podcast check us out um soccerresilience.com uh we're working on that that'll be up hopefully soon and then yeah my i'll put my cell phone number and email and seriously call me text me anytime it's a pleasure and a, a blessing to help out. But Clint, I appreciate you, brother, and all you're doing. And it's an honor to be on your show. There was a time not too long ago when no one in their right mind would ask to speak, uh, for me to speak as a positive example. And I'm still one extremely weak and screwed up individual. So this hey, is working through it. Man. No, okay. it's been really good. And, and you're good at at speaking and you're, you're continuing to work through it. Like myself, I still have to figure out how to word sentences as well. So don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I appreciate it.